0: Grace, mercy and peace to you from God who loves us with a transforming love from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. John 3:16 is the most oft quoted scripture in our modern age. It's had quite a history in our country, being at the heart of the Second Great Awakening, which was the religious revival that happened in the 19th century. And then as the awakening diminished, its use diminished as well, until the evangelical movement of the late 20th century. And then it was everywhere, and it became the gospel verse in the American life. As one person recalls, Billy Graham recited it at his crusades attended by thousands who were often gifted copies of John's gospel. So sports fans were broadcast across the United States wearing shirts or carrying signs to games emblazoned simply with John 3:16. It's the first verse that I remember having memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. King James Version, of course. And I cannot argue that it is an important verse in the Gospel of John. But it loses some of its power when we take it out of its context Partly because it can so easily be turned into a demand to believe so that you can be saved or to be used to judge or shame people or to be used just to be meant for me. God loved me so much instead of the wide, expansive, radical love that it tells us about. Instead of it being the powerful witness to who God is in Jesus Christ. There is power in the whole chapter of John, the third chapter of John, that we often miss because all we see is the thing we know the most, John 3, 16. But you know how it is, right? You see something so often, you know it so well that you don't necessarily see the things around them. Like, you know they're there, but they don't really get your attention, just this last week, I was driving from my home in South Lacrosse to here, up Mormon Cooley Road, and then I went home, and then I unexpectedly had to come back to on Alaska. And in that second trip, my father was with me, and he pointed out the huge bowling alley on Mormon Cooley that had been torn down, which I had not seen that morning. Because what I pay attention to on that drive is often Good Shepherd Lutheran Church. Because I know the people that serve there. I know people that worship there. It's my polling place. They have a huge parking lot, which I'm somewhat jealous of sometimes. Never thought I'd be jealous of a parking lot until now. So we don't notice the things that are around it, that are around this verse, which has become at the heart of the American gospel. We see it, we know the story that it's embedded in, but we don't always notice it. John 3 is the story about the encounter between Nicodemus the Pharisee and Jesus the Messiah. Nicodemus comes to Jesus under the cover of night and addresses Jesus very respectively, as rabbi, and then affirms that Jesus must be sent from God. He's not so ready to go as far as to say Jesus is the Messiah. And in response to Nicodemus's proclamation and affirmation, Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Well, this is the beginning of a conversation that brings confusion, because how can somebody be born from above when they've already, when they're old? Like, that doesn't make any sense. And challenge to Nicodemus. And then Jesus, in one short verse, recalls a very, to me, non-edifying and somewhat hard to explain and problematic story from Numbers, about Moses lifting a serpent in the wilderness. In fact, I usually just gloss right over this when I'm talking about John 3, because here's the story. The people are grumbling against Moses and against God. Why did you bring us out in the desert only to kill us? We should have stayed back in slavery. We've heard this complaint before, right? And so God, because they're complaining, sends poisonous snakes to bite and kill the people. And then they repent because, uh-oh, right? And God tells Moses to create a bronze serpent so that when they're bitten, so they don't even get saved from the stakes, they can look on it and be healed. Yeah, explain that one, pastor. (laughs) Right? I mean, I don't want to. But there's so much to unpack. And well, to be quite frank, I only have so much time in this pulpit But I began to look at it in terms of the context of this conversation with Jesus and Nicodemus. And instead of going right to John 3, 16 and 17, I stayed with this story that provides us a window to understand Jesus's next words. Because you see, as much as that bronze serpent was meant to save the people from the snakes on the ground, Jesus is meant to save the people From their sins. For God so loved the world that God gave the Son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Sin condemned us to death. But when we look upon Jesus, we are saved. When we witness God's love for us, Jesus being lifted up on a cross doesn't take away our sinfulness. Just like the serpent on the pole didn't prevent the people from being bitten, but God provides a way for us to inherit eternal love. But that love, it's not just for me. It's not just for you. It's not just for this beautiful corner of Wisconsin. It's for the whole world And Jesus wasn't sent to this world to remind us of how awful we are, but in fact, to remind us of how loved we are. This expansive love, it's radical. This love that God has for this world that doesn't deserve a single drop of it is more than we can ever comprehend but it is indeed where our God begins and ends. And like the grace that we receive every moment of our lives, this love is a gift. It's a gift to the whole world, you, me, and everyone else. We do nothing to deserve it, nothing to earn it. It is simply ours. And so again and again, Love becomes our refrain. Love is the thing that we return to. Love is what frees us. It's what saves us. If we have the courage to believe that it is real and true. It's interesting to me that in John these first 21 verses of John 3, John uses the word pisteo. That's the Greek word meaning to believe or to trust six times and or no seven times and in six of those times it's a form of the present tense and I don't want to get too bogged down in Greek grammar we don't need to do that today but it means that the belief that's referred to is a continual action a good way to translate it would be keep on believing or continue to believe Because believing in God is not like a hoop to be jumped through. And then we're good. We can check it off the list. But believing in God is a part of a lifelong journey that we take with God and with each other. Sometimes, though, we forget about the love we, the whole world, is bathed in. We forget Jesus on the cross. And so we read the words, those who do not believe are condemned already, and we look at it as pretty much black and white, as either or. It makes sense to us because we know what it's like to be those who do not believe or trust in the power of God, and we don't want to be that. But this is not an either or statement. What Nicodemus doesn't realize, what he has a hard time wrapping his head around because he lives in an either-or world, is that this is a both-and. All of us can find ourselves believing or not believing, having faith or not having faith. We can be those that are not condemned, we can be those that are condemned. I've asked myself all week, What does it mean to not believe in love? Because that is what God sent to us in Jesus, was love. And not the kind of love that Huey Lewis sung about way back in the day, but the love of God that is so radical, that is so big, that it meant death and resurrection for the whole entire world. It's that very love that calls us to radical love, that is planted in us and propels us to love our neighbor, not in ways that we get paid back for, but in ways that remind them of God's radical love. So we feed the hungry, we care for the lonely, we visit the sick, we give water to the thirsty, we stand up for justice for the oppressed and marginalized, We lament and we repent when we recognize our own sin and complacency. And dare I say, we don't worship in our beloved sanctuary for a whole year as a deadly pandemic sweeps across our world. So what does it mean to not believe in God's radical love? To not believe in the love that Jesus stood as witness for? Well, I think it's to turn from love of God and neighbor and turn toward love of self. It's to miss the freedom that we receive when we dare to believe in this radical love of God. It's to be condemned to a life bound by sin and selfishness, unable to see the light of Christ shining through. That is God's very love and grace in our lives. To not believe in this love is a life without life. But it's so easy to get stuck there, isn't it? To not believe that God could love us so much. To just turn in on ourselves. And in those very moments, friend, is when God sends Jesus down to remind us of God's love. And that could be through scripture or prayer. It could be from a phone call. It could be seeing someone else in need and remembering. If God so loved the world is about me, it's only about me in relationship to the world that is loved by God through me and you. Again and again then, love is our refrain. Love calls us back to the heart of God, reminding us of the one we follow and the grace that we live in. And then again and again, love is our refrain as we go out into this world, serving the God who dared to love us. The whole world, God loved first. And so sent the Son into this world so that we would not be in shame but in fact live in love. And then live out that love for the sake of the world, bringing Christ's light and life to all who seek it. Amen.